Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, church, and thanks for being with us today. Uh, I hope you're warm and well wherever you're watching from this morning. Shout out to uh, Jessica and Derek for hosting for us today. We love you. We're so glad you're able to be with us. Um, one of the joys of the online series season has been able to hear stories beyond even those in the lower mainland. Um, individuals tuning in week after week and finding a safe space to grow in their understanding of Jesus and experience of faith. There have been things which have been lost in the season, don't get me wrong. But as followers of Jesus, we believe that from ashes, beauty is brought forth. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we find hope and we lean into community and we lean into families. So seeing new families like the one we heard from this morning and Jordan and Sam and their amazing boys is a blessing. People who've never really done the whole church thing before but are finding this to be a low barrier of entry, that's amazing. Uh, individuals who are not local but are part of a community even from a distance, that is beyond my expectation. We are blessed and we have much to be thankful for, and I hope that you feel that this morning. And today, uh, today we are starting a new mini-series before the Christmas season kind of kicks into full gear. I know that Christmas is already here for some of you based on your house decorations, uh, Insta stories, Christmas music, maybe even Christmas drinks, whatever it is that you got going on. Don't worry. I uh, will get into it here as a church. Don't put pressure on me like that, but we've got it. We've got a couple t- a couple weeks still. Uh, we've got a three-week series that I'm really excited about. Why? Well, have you ever read the Bible and been encouraged, convicted, and puzzled simultaneously? It's okay if you have. And maybe I'm just saying that to make myself feel better, but because I have found myself there, I find it that I need to deal with it. I got to do something about those moments. In particular, there are some words of Jesus which throw me for a loop. So dealing with them is important. And that's what I'm hoping we're going to get to do for these next three weeks. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, he was consistently teaching and guiding his followers through the medium of story, uh, through what is called parables. Even if people know nothing of Jesus, they either know about his stories or have encountered, encountered their impact in expressions like prodigal or good Samaritan. Um, These ones we know oh so well, but there are a bunch of ones that Jesus shares that seem a bit harder to catch than others. Um, And we're gonna call these puzzling parables. And we're gonna be looking at three in particular over the next three weeks, perhaps confronting some of the ways that you've heard them talked about in the past, and I'm excited to dig through them together. Now, Jesus' parable world. Jesus was a master creator of story and, and nothing is so attractive or so compelling as a good story. Uh, it, they can inform, entertain, involve, motivate, authenticate, and, and they can mirror existence. Stories are, are one of the few places that allow us to see reality or at least the reality the author creates. It's there that we can actually reflect and discern motives. We can take a look at who won and who lost and what success and failure looks like. It it provides a a fascinating window into a moment. The teller has an agenda and an intent, and they believe the story is important. But here's what we need to understand up front. A parable is not merely a story. A parable, in its broader sense, refers to an expanded analogy. Analogies which are comparisons or contrasts 
used to explain or convince. Klein Snodgrass, he says this, that Jesus' parables have been described as both works of art and weapons in his conflict with opponents. He goes on to say that parables were the means that Jesus used most frequently to explain the kingdom of God and to show the character of God and the expectations that God has for humans. And here's the honest truth. The parables of Jesus, they don't always make us feel warm and fuzzy. They aren't meant to lull us into a comfortable sense of bliss. They confront us. And when that takes place, those parables, they can get treated a little bit different. They can be glossed over. They can be treated like maudlin clay just to be shaped so that we can digest it. Or they can be domesticated so that they will follow socially prescribed rules and have a meaning that we are okay with tolerating. But this is not our goal. Rather, listening for the intent of the teller of Jesus himself, with all of the power and creativity of his teaching, must be our goal. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be having a mini-series that I imagine we will come back to again where we'll look at other puzzling parables. But in this series, we intend to face right directly into them and dive into these puzzling parables which present a powerful picture. It's a lot of peas from Jesus. So our first parable is coming from Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 to 30. Perhaps you know it. Um, It's commonly known as the parable of the talents. So let's join uh, Ezekiel and Zillion in reading together. Hi, um, I'm going to be reading Matthew 25 verse 14 through 30 in the NIV translation. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted entrusted with me five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the few. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has that. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. 
whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Fantastic. Uh, appreciate you boys leading us this morning in that reading. And a huge thank you to uh, Jordan, Sam, and boys for leading us in our How You Doing segment. Thanks for letting us know a little bit about yourselves. We love you. We're excited that you're part of our church community. Now, perhaps you've heard this story before, the one we just read. Uh, it maybe in another church service, maybe in a modern retelling, perhaps just in passing. But I know for myself, whenever I came across this story, I remembered a couple things. I remember the servants doubling their money. I remember one servant burying it in the ground and a kind of ending there. I don't remember a ton beyond that, but it, but it doesn't just end there. And I don't really pay attention to the beginning either. So I missed some pieces. But have you ever noticed that wherever you are listening to a story, it's important to listen carefully and recognize what is said. But it's just as important to notice what isn't said. We gotta be listening all the way through. Peter Drucker calls this the importance of being non-verbally smart. He says that the most important thing in communication is hearing what isn't said. Removing distractions, avoiding personal bias, listening with all of our senses, and just stopping ourselves from talking. This is often looking to accentuate our recognition of non-verbal messaging. Man, Jason talks with his hands a lot. He's saying things with his hands just as much as with his words, and that's a fair statement. But how many of you know that the absence of a statement or a word or a phrase can have a massive impact upon what is actually trying to be communicated. I feel like every spy movie has a moment that kind of runs along this wavelength. Someone's captured, they have to make a call proving that they're alive, they want to communicate some information to the other person on the line, so they say a couple things, maybe they, they tell some kind of code, they remove a couple things that they would normally say, and the other person needs to decipher it in order to rescue them. Gotta hear what isn't being said. And if I'm honest, I would say that I sometimes feel like this in conversations with people. Uh, maybe even in marriage sometimes it happens where we're listening to what they're saying, but wondering why they aren't maybe communicating the same way. Um, maybe some questions roll through your mind as well. Uh, did I do something? Are they upset? Is there something else on their mind? Or maybe the most important factor of all, and it's always at play, is my wife hungry? It's a, it's a legitimate question and one that I'm more than happy to deal with. And this isn't an idea worth applying to this parable. We need to be aware of what we read and aware of what we don't read. I'm not saying that Jesus is trying to low-key communicate that he's hungry, but we have to pay attention because in most of Jesus' parables, he'll start by saying something like, the kingdom of God is like, and then he goes on with the story. That's how he starts almost all of his parables. And if you read the first half of this chapter, he communicates another parable, and he says it, in fact, about the kingdom of God. And this is important because it helps us understand what Jesus is talking about. But this parable that we just read has a bit more of a question attached to it because Jesus does not explicitly indicate as much. There's more at play for us to pay attention to. Perhaps you've heard this story talked about from the perspective of, of stewardship and productivity. Maybe that's what comes to mind when we read it. 
And sure, you can pick and choose parts of it so that it says the, but if we are to read the parable as a whole, aware of what Jesus has just said and what he says next, I think we're going to be able to find it, that it would be a bit unsettling if it was a picture of the kingdom. Because here's what I see. It, it, it seems to promote ruthless business practices, verse 20, usury, verse 27, and, and the cynical view that the rich will only get richer while the poor become destitute in verse 29. And as well, if, if we assume that the master is a figure for God, it's a pretty severe portrait. An absentee Lord who cares only about profit maximization. This character is hard-hearted and ruthless. Is this who Jesus has presented himself to be in the past? Does this align with the character of God shared with the people? Well, I would contend no. Then why have we been so quick to make the assumption that this is a story about doubling our money or pleasing God? Let's be clear. Uh, the issue isn't about being a good steward. God wants that a part of our life. In, in Luke 12, verse 48, it talks about, to whom much is given, much will be expected. We are expected to be good stewards. But... To believe that this response of the master in the parable is an image of the kingdom is to paint God in a different light. So let's look at it. This story is routinely used about how we Christians should gainfully, gainfully employ our talents for God. Um, this is the language that's used in translations, translations like the ESV and KGV. Despite the fact that talent in the gospel text has nothing to do with our individual talents. This is not about your ability to flip a bottle or have your eyebrows dance. And I know some of you are trying it right now and power to you. But that's not the talents that are talked about in this story. Talents were in fact a measure of money. Specifically, uh, a weight roughly 36 kilos equaling 6,000 denarii which was 6,000 days wages and therefore 16 years of earnings for an average person. This story is in fact everything to do with economics. And I'm going to suggest that our interpretation of this parable exposes our personal economics. Might it be that we have imposed the parable upon the parable our capitalist economics about the glories of a system that places productivity and the grind as the highest values. Bruce Molina, in his insights from cultural anthropology, he notes that in traditional Mediterranean society, the ideal was stability, not self-advancement. That anyone trying to accumulate inordinate wealth jeopardized the equilibrium of society and was thus understood to be dishonorable. Greed was widely believed to characterize the rich who extorted and defrauded other members of the community. Usury was understood to be responsible for the destructive cycle of, of indebtedness and of poverty and profiting from commodity trading was even condemned by someone like Aristotle. This, this was not an idea within the Mediterranean culture or in the Mediterranean perspective that would have been looked well upon. And this would have continued into the nation of Israel as well because the Jews who were listening to this parable would have remembered the warning against stored surplus 
in Exodus 16 and, and, and the prohibition against usury and profiteering off the poor in Leviticus 25. This was already built into their mindset. So the language of the story that would have had a different intention would have been received by these people in a different way than you and I. And this is where there's been a difference of understanding. Their understanding of their world, their bias is different than ours. For, for, for those of us, who have grown up in a capitalist system, we tend to assume that using money to make money is automatically a good thing. And I'm not here this morning to say it's not. Don't get me wrong. For all the dangers and wrongs of capitalism, and there are many, it is undeniably true that capitalism has been one of the most powerful forces for good in human history despite real issues of poverty and hunger in our world, but every objective, verifiable measure per capita, less people today live in poverty or hunger than at any time in human history. Per capita, less people died violent deaths than at any time in human history. Per capita, less children die of preventable causes, and we still have so much work to do. These things are factual truths, but the dangers in capitalism don't lie in good money management. They lie in the master that we choose to serve. With the opportunity of capitalism, perhaps it makes the injustices in our world even more egregious. The capacity for so much good exists, but yet there is a different master we have chosen to serve. Greed and productivity which are cruel masters that turn some of the good aspects of capitalism into dangerous systems of income inequality and extreme poverty. And this problem is perpetuated by you and me. You don't think so? Well, well let's look at how we think. When we often read this story, what we see is, well, he turned five bags of gold into 10. Clearly, he's the hero of the story because we assume that a capitalist example is always positive no matter the cost. The master calls him a good and faithful servant after all, but here's the thing. If this master is a hard man who harvests what he has not sown and gathers where he has not scattered seed, we have to ask, is this the type of master we really want praise from? We perpetuate the master of greed all around us in our materialism. The, the, the craziness of Black Friday is just on the horizon. And every year there's a video that goes viral with people fighting over a big screen TV or a blender or a sweater that is 70% off. It gets ugly. It doesn't make sense. Seems incredibly personal, definitely selfish, and it glorifies the wrong things. And I have been there and I know you've been there, but here's what I have recognized in my own life. That when I allow my greed to lead me, my capacity for grace and my capacity for generosity disappear. Because greed makes grace seem weak and greed always seems to justify itself. We're talking about money, but I wonder what biases you have which are causing you to praise the wrong master. Maybe it is money, but maybe it's productivity. And you feel like as long as you get it done, it doesn't matter the cost of your personal relation or family health. 
Maybe you grew up in a household that was unstable, therefore you crave security and your bias is in that direction and you're willing to do so even if it means you've created an unhealthy reliance on control. Maybe there's a political bias that, that you have and it causes you to see the world through political statements rather than kingdom characteristics and, and we compromise areas of honesty and kindness and humility and respect. This parable is calling us out. And I would suggest that the parable of the talents is understood more correctly as a cautionary tale about the world than as a parable about the kingdom of God. The master of money is going to take from the poor to give to the rich. The kingdom of God is calling for us to care for the sick and the poor and for those who are hurting, to have generosity at the core. When it's about the kingdom, Jesus actually presents a picture of a father ready to give a second chance, of a shepherd searching for the one that got away, of a God with a constant character of undeserved grace. There is hope in the kingdom of God because it is not of this world. Sometimes we need to hear stories of what the kingdom of God isn't to fully grasp what it is. But we want our feet in both pools to somehow benefit from both. And what Jesus is saying here is that two masters like this cannot coexist because to serve one master is to actually oppose the other. Now, the parable before this one and after it, I think makes this even more clear. We'll get a little context. The parable immediately before the story that we just read, the story of the talents in Matthew 25, is a kingdom teaching. It's, it's specifically outlined as such. And the listeners are called to stay awake and not be caught unawares. It's a warning to be alert of how we can be led away from the kingdom. And it urges the, the reader or the listener to remain vigilant for when the time comes to confront injustice. This leads into the story of the talent, which seems actually pretty good enough until we get to that third servant. And he doesn't double his money. And in, and in fact, he doesn't do anything with it. And in many ways, he does what is just asked in the previous parable. And he begins to speak truth to power. And he reveals something to us. The third, the third slave does. And he says, I knew you were a harsh man. You reap where you did not sow and gather where you did not scatter seed. And with those words, the third slave unmasks the fact that the master's wealth is derived entirely from the toil of others. He profits from the backbreaking labor of those who work the land. And in many ways, he's saying, I am unwilling to participate in this exploitation. And here's the thing, the rich man didn't even deny it. Rather, he just banishes the slave. And that slave is banished to what is framed as, as the darkness. And, and it's this harsh scene. And his punishment is to be kicked out of the rich man's system. And this seems like hell, but it's a darkness that is outside of the system of the rich man. So it would seem like hell to him. An unfamiliar place, one where perhaps you don't have as much control. But this is what Jesus says about that darkness in the very next parable that it's called the parable of the least of these. It kind of runs in the exact opposite of this one. And the story tells us that we will meet Jesus mysteriously by feeding the hungry, by giving drink to the thirsty, by welcoming the stranger, by clothing the naked, by caring for the sick and visiting the imprisoned, living from a life of generosity. In other words, we meet Jesus in places of pain and marginality in that outer darkness. 
This courageous third slave embodies the moral of the previous parable. To not just go with the flow. To not just allow the morality of the moment to drive our decision making. To not just accept things as, well, this is the way that the real world works. But to be aware of the way that the world is going to need to be confronted by the way of Jesus. This third slave has awakened to the rules of the master's world and has chosen instead to seek the kingdom of God. You see, this parable is not about whether you've done enough. Because you haven't. It's not about whether God's investment in you will pay off. That's not why he loves you. This parable is about the masters we choose to serve and the path it leads us. This parable is about the cost it will take to reject the way of this world and to follow the way of Jesus. So, if you have carried this weight around you, wondering if you've done enough, trying to turn five into 10 or two to four, would you let go of that? Yes, there is a responsibility in the kingdom and to whom much has been given, much will be expected and we are called to care for that has been given to us, but you're never gonna earn your place at the table. We work from grace, not for grace. Nothing is wrong with working hard, Nothing is wrong with making money, but when our master becomes our greed, when our master becomes productivity, we will find ourselves slaves to a way that brings only death. Not only to ourselves, but to others. This is not a parable about whether you've done enough. It's a parable about what you are willing to lose. And the irony is that if we could only get that, then we would gain everything. This morning, would you pause with me? Maybe you've heard this story before and never thought of it this way. Maybe you've never heard it, period. But would you reflect on the spaces where doing what is right might cost you something? Would you consider what master you're choosing to serve in your day-to-day? Would you confront the way that greed has perhaps overwhelmed grace in your life? I know that it has a mind in moments. And may you find this week not only the courage to act, but the strength to reject the masters of greed and productivity and instead choose to serve a master full of love and grace who can change the world around you, through you. I'm so excited for what God has in store for you this week. If you've never had an encounter with the living God, if you've never had an encounter with Jesus, let me invite you this morning. That it's, it's so simple to just come to him with where we are at, with all that we have, and he gives us the confidence that he will receive us and show us the grace that is always waiting. We just have to invite him. So even in your home this morning, Maybe you've known him before. Maybe you've never even considered the way of Jesus. But would you just pause and ask yourself, would I consider a different way than the one I'm following? Is there an opportunity for me to come to know more than what I currently see? Jesus, he came 
and he died and he rose again, not just so that there is a place in heaven for us one day, but so that we can experience the fullness of life here and now. And he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. He wants to know you from the inside out in every moment of every day. And he wants you to invite him to walk alongside. So even in your home, you can do that this morning. I would invite you, you can touch base with our prayer team and they would love to pray with you. Pray at citycollective.com and you can pray alongside me this morning. Let's close together. So Father, we give you thanks that a story like this confronts us where we're at. But it doesn't lead us to a place of, of judgment or, or condemnation. But it comes to a, it leads us to a place of perhaps asking questions of who we're choosing to serve. Of how greed has overwhelmed our stories. Of how we're feeding into a system that is not of your kingdom. I pray that you would give us courage this week. That you would give us courage to act. Courage to see beyond the moment. That you would help us to to discover your life and your love in the midst of our current every day. For those who don't know you, may they discover your love in a new way. Thank you that your grace is before us, that your grace leads us, that your grace guides us, and that it is a response of grace when we fall short that we can expect. Not one that's going to banish us into, into the abyss, but one that is looking to constantly have us be healed and restored and redeemed. Thank you that we can look for that in our every day. Help us to know you more. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.